another week of action in the Copa Libertadores, and we are here once again on the World Football Index Copa Libertadores podcast to recap it all for you. Good evening, everybody. Austin Miller here with you from Chicago. Another great week in the Copa Libertadores. We've got our regular panel to recap all of the action for you here. We'll start, as we always do, with Adam Brandon down in Chile. Adam, unfortunate. Once again, no Chilean teams in the knockout stages. They had their chances but they couldn't quite get it done this year. Yeah, indeed. Um, all good here. Exciting day. Discussing the future of Norwich um, with my mates after our head coach was announced today. Also some exciting happenings at World Football Index. So yeah, heading into this pod in optimistic mood, despite no Chilean pre- presence in the, in the last 16. Glad to hear that, Adam. Uh, always fun to get a new manager at your club. Uh, you know, there's that sense of... A little bit of unknown, but also the excitement because you always obviously hope for the better thing. So best of luck to Norwich in their quest to return to the Premier League next year. Thank you. Uh, and in Medellin, Colombia, Simon Edwards joining us. Simon, I heard you scored quite the goal this weekend. Oh, news travels fast now. <laughs> well, well, you uh, did tweet about tweeting. it. So. <laughs> hey, got to keep, got to keep everyone updated. Yeah, I, I scored. It was a, it was a forty-yard free kick. Dropped it into the far post. A la Ronaldinho against England in 2002. There's certain rumours about whether I meant it or not, but it's happened three times. So either I'm terrible at free kicks or I'm really good at shooting from range. (laughs) Or really lucky. (laughs) One of of the two, eh? It's just, you know, if they keep happening, I'll keep keep doing it. Aim for that far post, dropping it in against the 12-year-old goalkeeper. Beautiful. (laughs) Wonderful to have you on the podcast, as always, Simon. And finally, our Ecuadorian football expert uh javier zavala javi how are you doing this evening hola a todos um i'm doing great um actually it's a very very good week to discuss about libertadores because we have a lot to look forward to in the next round and some games were actually very interesting today so really looking forward to it especially since uh the two ecuadorian teams advanced to the second round there's a lot to analyze there Certainly is. As you said, a lot of the games were very interesting, but we will start with a game that was not necessarily particularly interesting. Uh, things wrapped up in Group 7. Uh, Lanus defeated Nacional of Uruguay by a score of 1-0. to The big storyline in this group came out early in the day on Tuesday when Conmebol announced that they would punish Chapecoense, uh, dock them of their victory against Lanus in, in Round 5. Uh, as we discussed on last week's pod, Chapecoense played an ineligible player in that road win against Lanús. So what had been a 2-1 victory for Chapecoense was turned into a 3-0 victory for Lanús. That secured Lanús's spot in the round of 16 while also serving to eliminate Chapecoense. Unfortunate for them, uh, but really only themselves to blame. So with that in mind, Simon, Lanús approached this match. They won fairly comfortably, 1-0. They go through as group winners. Nacional go through as runners-up. Yeah, no, so obviously this game at the start of the, the, the game wasn't that much in to, to be won. Uh, obviously, if Nacional had won the game, they could have just snuck ahead of Lanús to, to finish first in the group. And obviously that helps a little bit in the, the knockout stage with the draw. But... You know, neither team was really, really pressing to get their three points in this one. It was a, it was a decent game, fairly competitive. The goal was really nice. Uh, Jose Sand uh, cut inside and slipped through Alejandro Silva for a nice little dink finish. Again, not one of the most uh, impactful, important games in terms of the Libertadores group stage. Both teams were going through. 
Lanus will be happy to have just edged this one. Um, but both teams looking good uh, as they go into the next round. Um, you know, I think we I think we generally thought that these two teams might qualify from the group. Uh, Adam, you you had a uh, some positive things to say at the start of the tournament. What have you what have been your thoughts on these two teams so far? Yeah, this group kind of went how I expected with Lanús and Nacional both making it through. You know, I, I probably didn't expect Nacional to beat Lanús in Argentina and and uh, Lanús to beat Nacional in in Uruguay. And there's also been some surprise results along the way. Uh, like Chapecoense beat in Lanús last week on the field. But, you know, Austin's going to speak about that in a moment. I know the three points was given back to, to Lanús um, for that game as Chapecoense fielded an illegible player, which, as Simon said, you know, this, this meant that this game was kind of meaningless, although Lanús did manage to get the win and secure the group. Looking at these sides going forward, in the competition, um, I, I, th- I think both of them could have a run. Lanús, yeah, they, they seem to be that they're not. They're certainly not the the side that we saw win the Argentine League last year. They they lack a little bit of magic, especially with Miguel Amaron, uh, who's now at Atalanta United. They miss they miss a player like him to to make a difference in the final third. I feel. Uh, and it's similar for Nationale, really. I, I feel that they they lack a little bit of a spark going forward as well. And, you know, the, the fact that Martin Lasarte fell out massively with uh, Amaral, the, the, one of the star men at the Under-20 World Cup for, for Uruguay at the moment. I just feel, you know, my, if Nationale had a player like that who could produce... A moment of magic in the final third, they could be a potential dark horse for this competition as well. But for me, neither side probably have enough to win it. But yeah, I, I wouldn't rule out one of them making making the semis. Adam, a team like Nacional now, you know, we've seen them in, in years past. Last year, they knocked out Corinthians, who were the defending uh, Brazilian champions at that point. As you said, they may not have enough to win it, but if you are a group winner, they're probably a team that you want to avoid simply because of their style of play and how difficult they can be to beat. They're, they're pretty solid defensively. You know, they've got a couple of Uruguayan internationals there. But like I said, I, I just feel that they that they probably don't quite have enough up front to trouble the latter stages of this competition. You brought up the Chapecoense incident with the three points that they lost. That, as I said earlier, eliminated them from this competition. Um, but they went out in style as 2-1 winners against Zulia of Venezuela. Uh, this was a very bizarre match. Um, Zulia scored the first goal from Arango completely against the run of play. They were 1-0 up at halftime. Chapecoense had had numerous opportunities to get back into this match and they huffed and they puffed and they finally broke it down. Uh, they scored twice in the final in, in stoppage time to turn what was a 1-0 deficit at the 90th minute into a 2-1 win. Zulia were down to 10 men at that point. Uh, Chapecoense finally got through Artur scoring the first goal uh, and then Andre Giroto with the second it wasn't enough for Chapecoense to get out of this group. They had already been eliminated. Uh, Zulia, in order to get out, needed to win and and turn over a lot of goal differential as well. But it was enough for Chapecoense to get third place in this group, which will mean a return to the Copa Sudamericana for them. And it was a very positive result for them to finish with in this competition, which was nice to see. Uh, a great comeback. Uh, 
on a very rainy, wet, sloppy night at the Anaconda and Chapeco. But good to see for them. Uh, it's it's a disappointment, certainly. Not just that they're going out, but that they're going out uh, in the way that they did with the, the the unfortunate incident where, you know, it really was their own doing. They had a terrific result away, um, and, and they blew it because they, they selected an, el- an ineligible player, uh, and that ended up costing them in this tournament. I don't know that being in the Sula Manicana is best for them as a club. Uh, obviously, they're not the deepest of squads, understandably so, uh, and I think it could, you know, hurt them a little bit in the Brazilian down to still be focused on two different fronts. Uh, but it is a chance to play some more international matches. Uh, so, you know, good for them. An interesting match. They ended up as 2-1 winners. Uh, but at the end of the day in this group, it finishes with Lanus going through his group winners, uh, Nacional going through his runners-up, and then Chapecoense to the Sulamericana with Zulia in fourth. Yeah, and of course, Chapecoense get to defend their Copa Sulamericana title uh, with that win. And I, I, t- I switched over just in time to see that dramatic uh, late comeback. And t- to be honest, it didn't seem like they were too bothered about that early decision, the decision earlier in the day to, uh, you know, basically pretty much eliminate them from the Libertadores. Um, and, and they just seemed delighted with the fact that they're, that they're still going to be playing international competition this year. Yeah, which is it's definitely great to see. And, and at one point in this match, I think in the 80th or the 85th minute, Chapecoense had, had racked up 16 corners, but had yet the score. They, they punished Zulia the entire match. And then finally, right there at the end, they broke through. And then they broke through about 40 seconds after that first goal to, to take it 2-1 and to win. Uh, so a good performance from them. And as you said, Adam, uh, they seemed well pleased with it. Uh, and you can't blame them. It was a positive result and, and a chance to, as you said, keep playing international football. Uh, as as we come to the end of this group, I, I've as as things have fallen, I've ended up watching loads of Zulia. <laughs> Surprisingly, it wasn't the first team that everybody wanted, but I ended up I ended up getting a lot of Zulia games as we were making sure we had everything covered. And I want to say something about Zulia because Zulia have a really nice midfield. Zulia have some really nice players: Orozco, Junior Moreno, Cesar Gomez, obviously Juan Aranjo. They they were a decent team in this little competition. Again, they have no defensive leaders. They've got no strikers. The goalkeeper's not amazing, um, and there's you know there's a lot of flaws in their team, but they they had some nice moments and some nice skillful attacking, little nippy midfielders, one Aranjo pinging some passes. So it's a shame to see Zulia going out. <laughs> they weren't good enough to qualify from, from the from the group. They weren't one of the standout teams in this tournament, but it's a team that I've actually quite enjoyed watching, and they've got very square '90s nets as well at their old stadium, which is also a joy. So, yeah, just a little quick mention for Zulia, a team I've quite enjoyed watching so far in this Libertadores. And Simon, I think you're right in saying that Zulia certainly weren't good enough to qualify, but it did seem like they were a tier above some of the teams we saw in this competition who really who really struggled to get results. Yeah, they had some fundamental flaws, but they had some nice quality as well. Again, if they if they had a defensive leader... If they had a proper number nine, they would have been a much more dangerous. It, you know, they did a lot of good things in the middle, but never really looked secure at either end of the field, which is obviously going to cost you in this kind of tournament. Certainly so. So that'll wrap up Group 7. Uh, we'll move now to Group 2, which was one of the more exciting groups coming into this week. We knew that Santos were going through. We did not know if they would be group winners yet. Uh, and we knew that second place would come down to a match between Santa Fe and the Strongest. Uh, a match to take place in Bogota. 
Uh, the strongest needed a draw to go through. Uh, and Simon, that's what they got. A 1-1 draw wasn't the most impressive performance. They they may Their levels may have fallen off a little bit here at the end of the competition, but they've done enough to get out of the group at this point. Yeah, from a Colombian perspective, it's kind of infuriating, really. Uh, and again, you know, do we want Santa Fe to continue in the tournament? I imagine set members of this pod are happy to see them out. Um, but... Oh, this was a massive opportunity for them. Um, they have all of the tools in terms of the pace, the strength, the physical advantage to be perfectly placed to beat a team like the Strongest who have a few you know, good athletes in the squad. Chumacero really puts himself about the pitch, but 1v1, Santa Fe were massively stronger and massively quicker than all of their counterparts on the Strongest side. Ironically, the strongest. <laughs> There's too many strongest jokes. But basically, all <laughs> Santa Fe had to do was kick the ball behind the strongest fullback and run really fast, and they would be in on goal every single time. Uh, you know, in the first half, my point was just <laughs> play terrible football. You're Santa Fe. You're stronger. You're faster. You know, you you're gonna bully the opposition. Don't don't try and pass it. Just do what you do. Get it forward, and you'll score goals. The strongest defenders were, were terrified on the back foot for a lot of the game. But Santa Fe just didn't have the quality to put the ball in areas that would, would trouble the strongest. The Santa Fe went 1-0 up. Uh, Seta, who got a rare start. Uh, Joan Haranjo had been injured um, and was on Wednesday told that he could take the day off to recuperate, you know, let his injury heal up. You know, it was looking on schedule to be back for this game. And he said, OK, no worries, I'll go home. I'll, I'll put my foot up. And he did put his foot up, but he put his foot up in Cali at a party <laughs> and didn't turn up to training until, uh, I think, Saturday morning, late on Friday. So one of their key players, who, again, can be good and bad, Johan Aranko, but he's strong and he has his moments of quality, was missing. So they had Seta, who was you know, quite, quite impressive for Colombia at the Under-20 Championships at the beginning of the year. He came on, he scored the goal. It was like a three-verse-one attack crossed into the box. He just about bundled it into the goal. But then it looked like, okay, so the strongest can get past the... Sorry, Santa Fe can beat the strongest all over the pitch in terms of pace and strength. Just just keep doing that. And uh, Adam actually said, you know, the strongest is going to sit back and try and defend this lead. And I was like, no, please, just score again. Come on. But yeah, basically the strongest came back into the goal, to the game. Uh, it was a poor own goal by Santa Fe and... They couldn't, they couldn't break it down. They brought on Omar Perez, who's the kind of veteran midfield playmaker. Again, couldn't do anything. They even brought on Dennis Strakwalersi up front, who miraculously has played over 20 games in the Premier League, despite being absolutely terrible. Big lump, but, you know, most of Santa Fe's players have a terrible first touch, but they're really fast. Strakwalersi has a terrible first touch and is really slow, so... That wasn't working. No, honestly, Santa Fe, very frustrating because for all of their limitations, they're strong, they're fast, they're powerful, they're dangerous. But they were getting the ball into the to the fullback, crossing it into the box, and the cross was going out the other end of the pitch without even bouncing. And it's like, if that's how you're going to cross the ball, then you don't deserve to qualify. So basically, yeah, Santa Fe eliminated in the most frustrating way possible. Jonathan Gomez has got some quality. Omar Perez has some quality. Johan Aranjo was missing for this game, has some quality. But the rest of the team, just workman-like, powerful, quick athletes, but really lacking lacking in the key moments. So Santa Fe eliminated and 
only themselves to blame, really, in this game. Simon, I have a Mahatma Gandhi quote for you. Strength does not come from <laughs> strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable will. <laughs> and, and I feel that this sums this sums up this game uh, beautifully. Because yeah, like you say, you know, physically Santa Fe were looked the stronger side. Or, you know, when you when you match up the two sides, but you know the strongest throughout this competition so far have have shown a great will throughout the campaign and i feel that in this group they certainly deserve to go through arguably as group winners ahead of santos as well i ranted about that last week but around the half an hour mark of this one i was quite worried for the strongest um because it looked like this game was only heading one way the colombians were one up and the strongest were playing this ridiculous high line and getting caught on the counter-attack. Santa Fe missed a huge chance, didn't they, at, at, at 2-0. And and if they had, at 1-0, sorry, to make it 2-0. And if they had taken that opportunity, yeah, it, it would have been difficult for the strongest to come back. But yeah, the Bolivians reorganised shortly after that and, and just before half-time levelled courtesy of an own goal. The second half, though, I thought the strongest saw it out fairly comfortably, really. Uh, you know, there, there just didn't seem to be much in terms of creation from Santa Fe. You know, that is what we expect from them now. But it, the, the lack of urgency was was really telling, I thought, in that second half. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, Simon. Overall, I'm delighted that the strongest <laughs> got through, especially after Santos's filth last week as well. And we've got more Alejandro Chumacero, or have we? Because, you know, he, he's, a, he's a wanted man now in South America and, and he's probably going to be linked with quite a few clubs, including one here in Chile, Universidad de Chile, who, who were just crowned champions in Chile this last weekend. So it'd be interesting to see what if he manages to stay at the... Well, if, if the strongest managed to keep him, should I say, before the last 16 starts. And Javi, for you on this one, what'd you make of this performance? Deserved result for the strongest? Deserved. And I agree totally. I totally agree with Adam. It's it's on them. Because if you notice the game, while they were tied, either 0-0 or 1-1, Santa Fe was really aggressive and looking for the goal. But when they were winning 1-0, they were really quiet, a lot of passing in the back and from the back with no real idea of what they were trying to do. And uh, it was I was extremely disappointed, right? Because the t- the tide gave the uh, the opportunity to strongest to classify, right? And Independiente Santa Fe had to actually look for that second goal. And again, like that goal that they missed the, with the chance to go to zero was super extremely easy. That said that it needed to score. I think that they only have themselves to blame. That's the first thing. And again, like I think that that may be related to Costas because Costas acted similarly when he was uh, directing coaching Barcelona in Ecuador, in which he actually found fi- found a chance to score early and then just play counterattack. And he did it very often. In all fairness, that 2012 Barcelona team had the perfect tools to play counterattack, right? They had a brilliant offensive game in which involved three men, right? Three players. Right. And the rest could actually defend and construct the game right towards the counterattack. Right. So I guess that Costas just likes to play to 
his philosophy, whereas not really what the game required. And the game required Santa Fe to go actually go and look for it. Because if you're going to sit deep versus the strongest, you're going to allow them to move their pieces forward and their offensive players are dangerous. Again, like I also agree with Adam that they pushed their defensive line super extremely high, which allowed Santa Fe to have a few chances, but they had to do it, right? They were looking for that goal. They were clear of what they needed to do. Now, another thing that I think uh, we're missing in that Santa Fe's goal is that that Balanta's through ball towards Gomez, it was beautiful that for Gomez to actually cross to Setter, it was a very nice goal. Now, in all fairness, how slow was Strongest to transition back to defense in that specific play was pathetic. Teams that actually aspire to do something in a, in a Copa like Libertadores should be able to go back to defense quicker and be more aware of what the, the situation requires. And the Strongest were not that concentrated in that play and allowed Gomez to run through. So that's also on the strongest responsibility. And finally, that own goal for Javier Lopez, it really looks like uh, it's a bad week to be related to Barcelona Sporting Club because Javier Lopez was was supposed to be the center back that Barcelona was hiring during the offseason. And I don't remember what the reason why that, that negotiation broke off and then they chose to go with Jefferson Mena. So Javier Lopez scored on her own goal. And then we're going to talk about Barcelona, I'm going to guess, later. They had their own centre-backs also scoring on goals. So it's not very good to be a centre-back and related to Barcelona this week. <laughs> it was a brutal own goal, too. It just looked like he <laughs> popped in front of his keeper and hit it. Not what you want to see uh, for Santa Fe, regardless. <laughs> uh, quickly on the other match in this group, Santos 4-0 winners against Sporting Cristal. Uh, Santos go through as group winners. Santos did what was asked of them. It was easy. It was composed. Sporting Cristal were really dreadful. They didn't even make Santos work for it at points. Uh, on the second goal, particularly, uh, the Sporting Cristal keeper just kicked it straight to Ricardo Oliveira, who then finished because that's what you do in those types of situations. So straightforward for Santos. Uh, really poor from Cristal. But that puts Santos through as group winners. The strongest in second place, Santa Fe, uh, fall into third place and into the Sulamericana. Adam, for these two teams that will come out of this group, the strongest obviously have the La Paz factor on their side that I think is going to make them a difficult team to deal with in the knockout stages. What do you make of their chances? And then what do you make of Santos as well? Well, I, th- I think in the qualifying rounds, I picked the strongest out as potential semi-finalists. So I've got to stick with that. Um, it'd be wrong to go back on that prediction now that they've, that they've negotiated their way out of a, out of a tricky group. So, yeah, I, f- I feel that. Santos, uh, I'm probably not in the right position to say as I, as I got my back up last week. But I don't see them going beyond the quarterfinals. But you probably know more than me on, on Santos. How do you feel about their chances, Austin? I think a, a big thing for them could be the health of Lucas Lima, their number 10, uh, one of the best players in Brazil. Yeah, he was hurt at the weekend uh, very early on in their domestic league match against Cotachiba. Uh, he had to pull out of the Brazil squad for the June friendlies. Uh, there is a bit of time before this competition uh, jumps back into action in early July. And then there'll be a big break between the first and second legs uh, in the round of 16, because why wouldn't there be, of course, in Conmobile? <laughs> um, so I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on for Santos. Uh, it, it's still the same old story for this Santos side. The pieces are all there. 
uh, talented wingers cutting in, a striker that you feel at least semi-confident in, in Ricardo Oliveira, a good defensive midfielder in Thiago Maia, uh, a great goalkeeper in Van der Leij. He was fantastic at the weekend against Coritiba, didn't have to do much against Cristal, but it still just feels like something's missing. I think quarterfinals might be might be just about right for this Santos team uh, and, and a bit further, maybe a bit too much to ask of them, uh, I think. But it'll be interesting to see uh, if Lucas Lima can play. You never know. Uh, but if this, if this is the type of injury that keeps him out for, for, you know, months rather than weeks, then I think Santos could, could really suffer in his absence. Uh, Simon, Javi, for you guys, Santos, the strongest. How do you feel about these two teams going forward? Well, you know, I, I like, I like the strongest and it's fair, I gave some friends eh, an outside bet. Go go for the strongest. They're looking good this year. So the strongest, again, haven't been perfect in, an, in all of their games. I mentioned previously fullbacks, same against Santa Fe. Their fullbacks really get exposed against pacey wingers. Um, you know, they, they did struggle at times against Santa Fe again. So they, they have been slightly inconsistent. They haven't maintained the, the excellent form they had during the qualifying rounds in all of their games. But they're going to be excellent at home they're going to be tricky opponents away they've got a good spirit keeping Chumacero is obviously key to what they're doing so we'll see how they do in terms of Santos so much quality attacking quality creative quality uh, I like Vladimir Hernandez who's a Colombian who's, who's moved there uh, you know obviously um, Lucas Lima is an excellent excellent player really really top quality he'll be important miraculously Jonathan Copetti seems to be really effective for Santos um, one I didn't like when he was at Nacional but he's very quick he's very unpredictable he's explosive so he's a weapon that they can use so yeah for me Santos have the quality do they have the consistency I think that's the biggest question because during this group they've looked impossibly good unbeatable dominant and they've also looked a bit shaky and a bit you know, worrying the inconsistent. So we'll have to see if they can maintain some of that high level. But in terms of personnel, they one of the strongest squads in the tournament, I think. Well, um, in regards to strongest, uh, actually a few days ago, I was speaking to some of my friends that are not, that they don't watch every game of Libertadores. So they were obviously undermining a strongest, right? So it's important for me to establish that some people that do not watch Libertadores that often will be pleasantly surprised with the strongest because they have key strengths in their team that would allow them to be very dangerous in the KO rounds, right? They, ha they, have, they have a great keeper. They have a lot of talent. And again, I'll jump on the bad one, bad one here. Keeping Chumacero is key, period. They also have a great coach, right? And coaching and coaching strategy in a 180-minute match is extremely important. So I think that some people are going to be pleasantly surprised with the strongest. In regards of Santos, I haven't seen them that much this year. I obviously agree that they have talent in their team. Lucas Lima is going to be key. And Bruno Enrique has had great games throughout the tournament. So they will be extremely dangerous during the KO round. But I don't want to jump in, do any forecast for them since I'm not no expert on that team yet. There you go. Good good bit of caution there from Javi. Didn't want to put himself out on a limb if he didn't exactly feel safe there. I can certainly relate to that. Uh, we'll move now to Group 5, which wrapped up on Wednesday. The only two matches on Wednesday. We'll start with Peñarol, who were 2-0 winners against Jorge Wilsterman. 
Uh, a loss here for Wilsterman, uh, but because of the result in the other match between Palmeiras and Atletico Tucumán, Wilsterman still able to go through. Adam, this match played behind closed doors for Peñarol. Unfortunately, it seems like that's going to be their only punishment for the incidents uh, in the Palmeiras-Peñarol match from a couple weeks back. But Peñarol, 2-0 winners. Wilsterman poor on the night, but they're still able to go through. Yeah, where do I start here? So, um, firstly, yeah, it's it's an absolute disgrace that Peñarol only got uh, one match ban for their actions against Palmeiras. I think a uh, one-year ban would have been on a on a on the lenient side for playing matches behind closed doors, but yeah, just one match is oh, and and in a game which is completely meaningless for them anyway. You know what's the point? What is the point, Commodore? Anyway, this was a comfortable victory for for Penarol with uh, G- Junior Arias starring for them. He he had an excellent game, scored a goal, set up another. And they probably put in like what what you could call their their best performance of of the of the group stage, but you know it's too little, too late for them. They really seemed to struggle under pressure in the competition this year, and they didn't live up to the expectations. Certainly, Uruguayans had for them, and Penarol fans had for them of getting out what they would have seen as being a kind of a very negotiable group to get out of. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really been a poor. Copper Libertadores for for uh, Peñarol on and off the pitch, I think it's fair to say. As for Hoye Wilsterman, they were they were poor um, against Peñarol, uh, has to be said. And, and to be honest, they were fortunate that Palmeiras were up for their match against Atletico Tucumán and did them a favour. But overall, I feel that Wilsterman deserved to get out of this group. They were very strong at home. And it's, it's a big credit, really, to uh, their, their manager, Roberto Mosquera. Um, he is managing his first club outside of Peru. I was reading earlier today, and and it's and it's gone really well so far with with Wilsman. It's it's been quite an achievement for them to get out of this group. Before he got the job with Wilsman, it seems like Mosquera, who was a pretty decent player himself, um, he played in the 1978. Well, cut for Peru, but yeah, he he seemingly managed pretty much any Peruvian club you can think of, really, um, including including the wonderfully named but now bust Deportivo Wanka. Um, so yeah, that was, that was an enjoyable read for me earlier. But yeah, overall, overall, Wilstman done well to get out of this group. I can't see them troubling beyond the last sixteen, in all honesty. But they do have a couple of talented players i quite like rudy cardozo he he quite often puts in some decent performances in midfield for bolivian national team as well and and he and he's had a good copper libertadores so far gabriel rios and up front had a decent has had a decent campaign the defender edward deno has been colossus at the back for them in their home matches it's a it's an interesting side because i don't think many teams will fancy playing them away from home but I feel that they're probably crumble on the road in the last 16. Could certainly be the type of situation where they could even go into that second leg with a bit of a lead you know a one goal advantage maybe uh but then you know it could yeah or even or even a couple of goals but the thing with them is I wouldn't be that confident even if they had like a free goal lead going in the second leg. It'd be interesting to see how they get on. 
The other match in this group five, uh, Palmeiras 3-1 winners against Atletico Tucumán. Uh, that gives Palmeiras the group win. A good performance, I thought, from Palmeiras in this match. Um, they weren't necessarily brilliant, uh, but I thought they were certainly composed enough to get this result. The only way that Palmeiras were going out uh, was if they were to lose by multiple goals and uh, have Wilsterman get a result against Peñarol. Obviously, neither of those things happened, so they ended up going through comfortably on the night. They ensured that it would be comfortable by scoring early on in this one. Um, our favorite Colombian center back, Yeri Mina, got a goal in the 15th minute. That was just a great team move from Verdown. Uh, it was a, a free kick from a, about 35 yards at an angle that uh, was played short and then played out wide for Hodrigegis, who then sent in a low cross. Mina was about a step on side behind the ball. Uh, and was able to to bundle into the net with his feet. That put Palmeiras 1-0 up. Uh, Tucumán had some chances uh, at the rest of the first half. They hit the post at one point and, and asked questions of Palmeiras, to be sure. Uh, and then they actually scored in the second half to make it 1-1. Um, at that point, a win would have been enough for Tucumán, and it would have been Palmeiras and Tucumán going through. Uh, but then William was able to get the second goal for a Palmeiras uh, on, on a really nice nice finish in the box to make this one 2-1. And then Palmeiras sealed it at the end with the 42-year-old Zé Roberto uh, scoring a volley to make it 3-1. Zé Roberto becomes the oldest player to score in a Copa Libertadores match. Uh, we've talked about Verón in this tournament. Uh, he's one who's come out of retirement to play this tournament. Uh, Zé Roberto has, has just continued to chug along. He'll be 43 in July. So uh, second leg of the round of 16, a chance that Palmeiras could be starting a 43-year-old left back. Uh, still playing at a high level. Points in this match where his pace seemed to fail him a little bit. Uh, but other than that, he's he's been great for Palmeiras. He's been consistent since joining the club in 2015. Um, so it's been incredible to see. So a good performance from Palmeiras. Uh, they certainly weren't as dominant as, as they could have been. Um, but they did enough to go through, and, and I think that's a positive for them. I thought Hosrugeji's played really well uh, on the right wing. I thought he asked a lot of questions of, of Angelista, uh, the left back for, for Tucumán, um, and I thought that allowed Palmeiras to be very successful. Uh, Miguel Borja had, had chances up top, didn't convert any of them, but he seems to be finding his footing with Palmeiras. Alejandro Guerra, another one of the Na Atletico Nacional players who, who came over to Palmeiras, um, thought he is really starting to, to find his form. It took him a while to kind of find rhythm in that midfield for Verdown, but I think he is starting to find that. And so uh, another, you know, another six weeks with this side before the round of 16, and I think they could be clicking at a good pace. So a good result for Palmeiras. It's a shame, I think, to see Tucumán go out of this competition because they did bring us a lot of drama in the playoffs, obviously, uh, with their 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 quest in, in Ecuador, showing up late for a match, playing in the Argentina under 20 kits and still getting a result. But I do think it is it is fair, as Adam said, that, that Wilsterman come out of this group as winners. Uh, anybody else want to hop in uh, with this Palmeiras-Tucumán match here? Yeah, I watched this game, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I really like Palmeiras. Um, they're a team with a lot of personalities, which I think is is fun to watch, but also important for a team. Um, obviously, Jerry Mina... Jerry Mina could play as a striker. I honestly think he'd be one of the top 10 strikers in South American football if he just decided to to put himself as a number nine because every time he's in the box, it seems to come to him. Even the second goal, um, you know, he was in there making things happen and it broke through for for the for the guy to score. So 
yeah, for me, I, I really like Palmeiras. I think they're going to be a, a, one of the stronger teams. I think they're potential winners of this tournament because they have personalities. They're players who are going to grab the game and you know take control of the game. Uh, Jenny Mina at the back and at the front is is a, is a big guy in every sense of the word in terms of winning the ball, in terms of scoring goals, in terms of you know again confidence on the ball, bringing it out. Zé Roberto is amazing for a 42-year-old because you mentioned one or two moments tonight, but uh, sorry, this week, but generally he, he doesn't look older than anyone else. He's so tenacious at winning it back. And again, he's a player who, who played kind of further forward as a more creative midfielder at certain points in his career. So to see him playing at fullback and looking every, every bit as tenacious and as, as dogged as he has to be, as well as having those moments of quality when he brings it forward, you know, it's great to see Alejandro Guerra, Obviously, a great player, the wolf in midfield. If you've if you've seen him, you'll know you know why he has a, a wolfish complexion. Um, again, a real dynamo in the midfield, drive forward. He he did a really nice pass, one of these goals as well, round the corner. Um, a great through ball. Miguel Borja up front makes things happen. Gigi on the wing. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of interesting components of this Palmeiras team. They haven't always been at their best so far, but. You know they've they've ground out late wins and they've you know done it with like a lot of personality and a lot of commitment. So I think there's lots of ingredients there for a potential potential winner. You don't always see the team that dominates going through. It's it's often the team that has that that attitude, that personality, that commitment. And again, they've they've got a strong squad and they've added a couple of last year's winners in in Miguel Boja and uh, Alejandro Guerra. So for me, there's all the ingredients there for a, a potential winner. And Adam, for you, you mentioned uh, Wilsterman, not a team that you view as as really a threat in the round of 16. What do you make of this Palmeiras side? Yeah, I, I think Palmeiras are certainly a strong candidate to reach the semifinals. Although, I, you know, I do have one or two doubts um, about them, um, as, I, as I've mentioned on this podcast before. But it's a little bit difficult for me to say now because, you know, with, uh, with Kuka back in charge... Yeah, it, it's kind. Of, it feels like a very different Palmeiras side to the one I've criticised a lot <laughs> on these pods so far. So I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out, really. But I, I kind of felt, you know, I didn't see much of this game, but of the bits, it felt like the crowd was a lot more with them than the crowd ever was with Baptista in charge. I yeah. don't know if you felt that yeah. since since Kuka's come back as well. Yeah, I think there, there's certainly been that sort of feeling in the air. And, and I think an early goal certainly helped that because you think back to the to the other two home matches in this competition and Paul Maitis left it late both times. I think there was just a lot more confidence throughout. Simon's got me thinking about Yeri Mina and uh, becoming a possible striker. After comparing uh, Chumacero to Wesley Houlihan last week, um, we're going to make another obscure reference this week and say that perhaps Yeri Mina is the Chris Sutton of Colombia. Or, or Doherty as <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gary Doherty as well, yeah. They both started <laughs> off as defenders <laughs> and, and, and became strikers, yeah. Dion Dublin went the other way, no? <laughs> yeah, Dublin went the other way. Yeah, let, let's, call him, let's call him the next John Charles. <laughs> All right, okay, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's, that's very ambitious, but... Um, yeah, I, I think I prefer my Chris Sutton comparison still the best. 
And Javi, for you, these two teams that come out of this group, Palmeiras, Jorge Wilsterman, uh, what do you make of them going forward in this competition? I love Jerry Mina. I really, really, really wish that Jerry Mina could play in every team I support. He's fantastic. I really like him. And again, like I, I agree with what you're discussing. Like I could see him playing center forward, like main target man striker, play two wingers wide and just focus on crossing to him. All game long. He's fantastic. That's, that's, how, that's how Sutton made his name at Norwich. Centre <laughs> forward. <laughs> two, two great wingers swinging balls in. I think he finished top scorer in 93-94 season. You know that he reminds me a lot of Agustin Delgado. I don't know if you guys yeah, have I heard of him. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. quality um, Ecuadorian striker. Yeah, Led the line uh, well and a couple of World Cups for you. Exactly, but he was a fantastic header, right? Like he had a fantastic header. And at the beginning, our main strategy, like Ecuador's main strategy, was to cross to Agustin Delgado. And he was like he had obviously another like other silky smooth smooth moves and techniques, but his main strength was actually heading the ball. So I can see Jeremina in that role. So I'm a big fan of Palmeiras, I'm a big fan of Jeremina. I really like them at going forward in the tournament. Um but that's as far as I'm going to risk myself going to. <laughs> uh, I, re- I In regards to Wisterman, um, I kind of like them versus Peñarol, though, even though Adam didn't that much. Uh, they had some quality chances. It was kind of a even ga- an even game between Peñarol and Wisterman, in my perspective. But again, I, I like the quality of the Wisterman chances, and I think that they, they are a decent team. Like they, I don't see them going forward like and advancing on, at second round. But again, I think that, that they deserved to be where they are and they took their chances and, and they're making the best out of it. And they do have altitude, you know. So for 90 minutes, it's not altitude as high as La Paz, but, you know, you never know what could happen in a situation like that. Uh, the right matchup and, and what do you know? Will Stimmel might be able to do something in the round of 16. But we'll move on to tonight's games. Uh, we will start in Group 3, River Plate and Emelec, the two teams that end up coming out of this group. Coming into tonight, uh, Independiente Medellin of Colombia, they needed to better the result of Emelec. Medellin were on the road against River. Emelec were at home against Melgad. Medellin did their part. They got a win away to a, a River Plate side that had changes in it. Uh, but Simon, they didn't get enough help from a Peruvian side that was playing a B team, which I guess is, is not to be that surprising. Uh, so for Medellin, they do fall short in this competition. And it's probably that match against Emelec last week that ends up costing them here, no? Yeah, really disappointing. But there are lots of positives. They went out on a high. Um, the In terms of the game tonight, Medellin sent thousands of fans. Uh, really, really impressive. If you look at the away support uh, at the game, um, Medellin really... Now, obviously, many of these fans would have kind of thought, earmarked that game, looked at the group and thought, River Plate away... Final game, that's the one I have to be at. But obviously they would have hoped that they would have gone into the game with a better situation, a better opportunity to qualify. That said, they played really well on the night. Um, It's the first ever win for Medellin in Argentina. Um, They played some good football. Uh, (laughs) Just just as the game was starting, I was looking at the team and I I tweeted and I mentioned to, to, to the guys on the pods, Oh, Juan David Valencia is playing fullback. Oh, my God. You know, we, we mentioned last week that they had Arias, who's a, kind of a winger, playing at fullback. Uh, for this game, they had Arias still on the pitch, but playing slightly further forward. And uh, Juan David Valencia was was playing at fullback. And I 
I knew it was trouble. And after about two minutes, he just pushed the player over in the penalty box. And I was like, oh, God's sake. Because <laughs> it was stupid. He, he lost, basically, he was at the far post. He lost his man. The River Plate player was running towards uh, the ball. Decent opportunity. And when the Valencia just pushed him over. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so after two minutes to give away a stupid penalty, it was just typical one David Valencia. But the penalty was missed. Um, it, it, as it deflected, the River Plate player tried to chest it down and it and it hit his arm or his shoulder. Bit of a contentious decision. It was somewhere in his upper body. The referee deemed it a handball and Medellin got out of jail with that one. But for most of the game, they were the stronger side. First half, again, a little bit flat. These are two good teams, but River Plate had rotated quite significantly as well. Um, they were missing a couple of important players. So uh, Drew C came on uh, off the bench, but he wasn't starting. But Medellin overall will be happy with, with this particular result. Uh, John Hernandez had a really good game in midfield. Had been one of the weaker players for Medellin. One who, the issue with him is we're not quite sure what his role is. He's one of those guys in the middle who isn't the predominant defensive force, isn't the creative force. You know, obviously you need players who are going to keep the ball moving, but he's not one that really stands out in terms of his contribution. So he had a really good game, was very energetic in midfield for Medellin. He put them 1-0 up. After some good work by Juan David Valencia, to be honest. A nice little one-two, and then it broke through for Hernandez to score. And then after a Quintero free kick that was pushed around the post from like 45 yards, it was ridiculous that he even tried to shoot from that range, but showed his quality. Uh, he worked in a corner. It broke at the far post for Andres Mosquera, and he volleyed like a perfect, clean volley, bang into the top corner, straight behind the goal, kissing the badge into the Medellin fans. So... In a game that could have been flat, especially given that Melgard didn't really try very hard in in, in a game that Medellin needed them to win. Um, it was definitely a, a kind of positive send-off for, for a team that's played some good football, slightly come short in some key moments. In Juan Fernando Quintero has, I think, one of the best players in this tournament. Uh, his contract runs out at Porto in December. Medellin tried to keep him for another six months, but... It was always going to be tricky, and without Libertadores football, it's going to be impossible. So he's going to be a very cheap, affordable, top quality. You know, in terms of talent and technical ability, he's almost, you know, he's one of the best players in the whole world with his technique and his vision. He has distractions. He has some physical limitations. He has commitment issues in terms of football. But when he's on his game, when he's pinging passes and spotting through balls and scoring spectacular goals and free kicks. You know, he's can really contribute a lot. So I think a European team is going to get an absolute bargain if they can get the best out of Quintero. So unfortunately, it will be goodbye to, to Quintero, goodbye to Medellin. Um, River Plate scored again towards the end of the game, but it finished 2-1 for Medellin. Medellin's fans finished the tournament, you know, kind of upbeat. They'll go into the sort of Medicana with, with something to prove. Um, so decent football from Medellin, but in the end, lacked a little bit extra to get them through. And Javi, in the other match in this group, as Simon alluded to, a 3-0 win for Emelec at home against Melgar. Uh, it was a rotated Melgar side, uh, and, and it's not as though Melgar's first side was very good anyway in this competition. A straightforward for Emelec, and it gets them out of this group in second place. Absolutely. I actually expected Melgar to play its A-team, so Emelec has the chance to actually have some payback after what happened in the first match. But uh, Melgar decided to play its B team because they have an important match in May 31st. 
So for Emelec, it was kind of a training with attendance, right? Because they were completely dominant throughout the game. Arias tried some new rotation in their team, in this team. So Jordan Jaime was injured. So Christian Ramos played throughout the game, uh, but he barely did anything because MLX defense wasn't really demanded throughout the game or uh, really had to defend at some point. Uh, so, but it was very interesting what Arias did throughout the game because, for example, since we didn't have, MLX didn't have Bides, today he included Carlos Orejuela and he was assigned to create partnerships in the right. So today we we were able to see uh, clearly that MLX, MLX likes to, like, we, we actually were able to see what people that watch the Ecuadorian tournament sees every, every week, is that MLX tries to start its attacks on the right for them to be able to finish them on the left because they have better creators on the right and better better finishers on the left, right? Since you have Ayrton Preciado, for example, on the left that loves to finish crosses and loves to actually shoot target, whereas Romario Caicedo, that plays on the right, loves to cross. Like last year, he was the, the player that had the highest amount of crosses in the whole Ecuadorian tournament, right? So he actually is very good at it and loves to cross. Now, in the middle, Fernando Gaibor had a fantastic game, and that makes sense since he, as a center midfielder, his biggest strength is to actually control the tempo of the game and find pocket passes and stuff. So he had a fantastic game as well. Now, Adam's sweetheart, favorite player, Ayrton Preciado, had a great game, right? He was unstoppable on the left. So Preciado had a few important crosses in the first half. One of them was an extremely clear chance that Romario Caicedo didn't found like didn't find the, the 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 chance like the skill to do it, which is very confusing thing, thing since it was a very easy chance. And then he also crossed for Orejuela's goal. Again, Preciado was great throughout the game. Now, if we're gonna talk about great performances, Brian Angulo. Brian El Cuco Angulo leading the front line. He was fantastic today and it was interesting to see like how so he didn't just set up the second goal right with his assist he actually recovered the ball in that opportunity so he recovered the ball he assisted Pedro Quinones and Pedro Quinones scored that second goal so and then it was interesting to see how the rest of the team were actually looking for Angulo to score so after that second goal all the chances were looking to looking where's Angulo where is Angulo let's get him a goal and so on that third goal did arrive for Angulo, and it was a beautiful goal because Fernando Gaibor uh, makes a straightforward uh, vertical pass to Matamoros, which with, with a beautiful flick leaves Brian Angulo 1v1 versus the goalkeeper and scores. And then he goes to celebrate with, with his very young son. So I think he's one or two years old. It was a very moving picture. It was great. And now, the important football analysis here is that Brian Angulo is taking advantage of the chance that Marlon de Jesus is injured right now. After like what we've seen of Brian Angulo recently, Marlon de Jesus is going to have a very difficult chance to regain his spot. On the other hand, in Melgar's uh, side, it was very nice to see MLX Herrera again because after a very good Libertadores tournament and from what I understand, a very efficient Peruvian tournament, Emmanuel El Tanque Herrera that played for Emelec showed up today because he was 
terrible today. He missed clear chances. He shot when he should have passed. He passed when he should have shot. He like he was. He reminded everybody why he didn't work out in Emelec, right? And finally, like I said, it was a very dominant game from Emelec. So, for example, one of the few example uh, statistics that show how dominant it was is that Emelec had 50 touches inside of Melgar's box, while Melgar had only five inside of Emelec's box. That's insane difference. Now, Emelec had 27 shots versus Melgar's six shots. And finally, Emelec had 438 passes versus 228 of Melgar. Emelec was completely dominant versus a Melgar rotated team. We go, uh, Emelec goes to the second round on a high note. So I'm very happy with that result. Adam, one of the stats that Javi did not mention there uh, was one that we were able to pick out. Because of this match, uh, we now know how many Melgar fans there are in Guayaquil. <laughs> yes, um, Javier sent us all a picture in the WhatsApp group of three Melgar fans um, in the away end there at MLX. So, yeah, it, it was quite the picture. But, yeah, as uh, Javier mentioned, you know, a fantastic performance from Ayrton Preciado. He set up the first goal and generally looked a huge danger all night. I, I, I felt that last week against Independiente Medellin, Emelec um, played really well, but Preciado was kept pretty quiet, mostly because he kept getting fouled and the referee didn't give him anything. But yeah, I, I felt that he was back to his best tonight. But yeah, as uh, Javier also mentioned, you know, the performance again from Brian Angulo was incredible. That's, that's two really, really good back-to-back performances now from him. And he's definitely a player to watch in this in this competition as well. As, again, as Javier mentioned, a lovely moment with his family in the second half there when, when, he, when he scored that, when he scored his goal. And I think he got man of the match again, didn't he, after the game? Emelec have actually ended up getting the same amount of points as their cross-city rivals Barcelona, which looked extremely unlikely about three match days ago uh but yeah Emelec have finished this group really strongly and we'll come on to Barcelona a bit but yeah both both the Ecuadorian sides have ended up going through in second place but that isn't necessarily a bad thing because that means you know that they've got that home leg first to get something but I see both both teams as a real danger away from home as well you know especially if they get a lead In their first legs, I think both teams are capable of happily sitting on that lead going in the second leg and using both teams are full of pace, Emelec and Barcelona, to get something away from home. So that's something to watch out for in, in the last 16. I, I see both of these teams from Guayaquil there in the south of Ecuador as a real danger in, in this competition to potential dark horses. Uh, Simon... For River Plate, uh, you saw them against Medellin tonight. It was a changed 11. Uh, we've seen them make changes in their 11 at multiple points in this competition now. What do you make of River Plate? I think they're still one of, if not the favorite. We haven't seen them at full strength in a while, and we probably won't see them at full strength in a while. But when they're on their night, they're a very dangerous side. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and again, I think that... The fact that they can rotate is, is a reflection of the fact that they've managed games well. They've picked up the results they needed to. Um, no, they're, they're definitely a team with a lot of quality. Um, you know, some of the younger players coming through, combined with, you know, a solid core. You know, Dreyusi is a really interesting player coming 
playing just off the the, the forward, uh, can fulfil a number of roles, can be can be the principal goal scorer, can also drop into behind the striker into midfield, drifts around a bit as well, but is always a threat. So yeah, no, definitely River Plate. Again, it's a team with pedigree, a team with you know experience in big competitions, big support at home, a team that you know there's there's obviously in the Copa Libertadores we see certain teams that come out of nowhere and go on a run and, and surprise everyone and that's one of the great things about the tournament but a team that's been there and done that a team that has the experience of winning titles and and playing in big big games you know they always have a certain certain advantage it doesn't show as it as it does in the champions league for example in europe where the big big teams always seem to come out on top but there is a little 10 percent bonus from being a established power uh, domestically and internationally and River Plate have that combined with a, a very talented team big support you know I think they're going to be a, one of the favourites for the tournament um, in terms of the Argentinian contingent they're the team for me that has probably the most quality across the across the 11 they've had some tricky situations they beat Medellin in a in a monsoon knee deep in the in water and that's the kind of game where you know the, the the technical players that River Plate have probably couldn't really shine, but they they came out on top in in adverse conditions. So I think there's lots of good signs there. You know, a team that's played some really nice football has some good quality players, some a solid core, some good youngsters, but that's also come through adversity and difficult conditions so far in this tournament and qualified very very comfortably to the extent where they can rest players and they can manage their squad. So. So far, so good. Every every box has been ticked so far by River, but we'll see what happens when they go from to some new challenges in the knockout stages. Just two more groups to break down here. Uh, we will go now to Group 8, which certainly had some drama uh, coming into the night. Uh, nobody was actually secure, although it would have taken a near miracle for Gremio to have not qualified. Uh, needless to say, that did not happen. Gremio, 4-0 winners against Zamora. Uh, who finish as the only team in the group stage to not collect a point in their six matches. Composed from Gremio, uh, they had to work for it a bit. Uh, Zamora held them off well for about 15 minutes, and then the floodgates opened up and Gremio scored scored three times three in about six minutes to make this 3-0. They ended up winning 4-0. A brace from Luan, Lucas Barrios uh, got one as well. So, so certainly nice to see from Gremio. They're through as group winners uh, and certainly could be a dangerous Brazilian side. So Gremio, 4-0 winners, as we said, against Zamora and easily through as group winners. Second place in this group was the one that was always going to be hard fought. Guarani, the Paraguayan side, hosted uh, the last remaining hope for Chile, uh, Akike. Adam, it finished 0-0. A couple chances, half chances for Akike. They had opportunities late, but they weren't quite able to make it happen. For yet another year, we're without a Chilean side in the knockout round, uh, and Guarani go through as the lone Paraguayan representative. Another another disappointing year for for Chilean football, though. Akiki and Universidad Católica both put up a good fight, and have only really been eliminated. You know, one goal either way, really. Yeah, if this this was a game that saw Akiki's goalkeeper Brian Cortez put in a brilliant man of the match display for them, but it wasn't enough. Akiki didn't quite show enough at the other end. In this one, really disappointed with the performance of Alvaro Ramos. Uh, he kept getting caught offside again tonight. The exact same thing happened in the first match in this group when Guarani went away to Akika and won 1-0. And, and 
The same happened in that game. Ramos was really poor positionally and the Paraguayans just kept him quiet um, in both matches. Ramos really didn't get a kick and uh, and Ramos is so key to this side. You know, he's he's, he's been their top scorer over the last couple of seasons and um, and if you keep him quiet, then there's a there's a there's a good chance that that you'll get something against Akike. Overall, Akike unfortunate to exit the competition. You have to say on ten points. No, you know some teams heading through in other groups with less than that, but this group did contain Zamora. To be fair, who are one of the worst sides in this competition. But yeah, Akike's consolation, of course, is a place in the Copa Sudamericana. And if they keep the majority of this team together, and maybe they will be allowed to play some matches in a Kike in a in a kind of a, a lower profile competition, Kike weren't allowed to play their home matches in a Kike because their little stadium doesn't hold enough capacity for Common Ball's regulations with the Libertadores. So that was also a disadvantage they had this year. So overall, I've, I think a Kike can be. I think they can hold their head heads up high as to how they've performed in this competition. Um, you know, they've, they've impressed a few people and they gave us a very memorable match against Zamora where, you know, they they came back to win a game they were losing in injury time. What One of their standout players has been uh, the winger, Rafael Caroca, and he's been linked with a move to Colo Colo after impressing in this competition and with Akike over the last year as well. He, he's one they're probably set to lose over the Chilean winter coming up here. I think Guarani probably deserved to edge through in this group overall. And I, and I think they're going to be a side difficult to beat in this competition because they don't concede many goals, um, especially at home. One to watch. So for Simon, for you, Gremio and Guarani come out of this group. As Adam said, uh, the Paraguayan side will probably be tough to break down. Gremio seem to be trending upwards. They might be the team that will suffer the most from a long break in this competition. What do you make of these two sides going forward? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a few sides of Gremio in this tournament. I saw a game a, a couple of rounds ago where I think I think it was Barrios just couldn't put the ball in the net. He was doing everything right, but he just couldn't score. He seems to have rectified that and gone on a nice goal-scoring streak recently. Gremio is a team that, uh, you know, having watched Libertadores for a few years, tends to play some nice football. You know, they they have a bit more of a, you know, nice nice build-up, a bit more balance to the team than some of the Brazilian sides. So it's a team that I tend to enjoy watching, uh, and they definitely have some strong players in the, in attack. As I say, there's been certain games where they haven't quite clicked in the final third. But it does seem that they're definitely rectifying that and uh, putting on some good, some good uh, performances and, and you know scoring goals and they've got a lot of power and pace in attack and some tricky players as well. So Luan as well is a really interesting young player. Uh, so I think Gremio are going to be a strong side. Um, I wouldn't quite put them up there with Palmeiras for me, but they definitely look to be going in the right direction in in recent weeks uh, and they've got a lot of talent in the final third. A decent base, quite a solid team. So for me, yeah, definitely one of the contenders. Uh, semi-final is definite possibility. Obviously, the draw is going to make a big, big difference. Um, and domestic football will also have an impact on these things. Guarani, again, you know, not one of the one of the obvious standout favourites at all, but you know, a decent established side. Uh, they've got a good spirit, um, very competitive in all of their games. 
uh, despite not having the most quality. So again, for me, a team very much an outsider, I would say, as we go into the knockout stages, but a team that's never going to be difficult to face uh, for any side in this tournament, uh, one to watch uh, potentially. But for me, Gremio, yeah, definitely have some exciting players, um, put, put together some nice moves, some nice passing moves, have got the pace and creativity to kind of make the most of individual situations as well. Barrios and Luan, yeah, a nice team to watch. Uh, and again, one of the teams moving in the right direction in terms of this tournament progressing. We will wrap up the group stages with the final two matches. Uh, they were probably the least dramatic of the matches in this round. A group that coming into uh, the night we knew already who was going through. Uh, Barcelona and Botafogo from group one. Uh, both actually lost tonight. Barcelona by a score of 3-1 to one to Atletico Nacional. Botafogo by a score of 1-0 to, to Estudiantes. On goal differential, uh, Botafogo actually win this group. They finish plus one. Barcelona finish even. Uh, so that will determine who goes where in the draw. Quickly on the Botafogo Estudiantes match, not a lot to talk about. Uh, Estudiantes 1-0 winners. Uh, a goal from Solati in the 25th minute. Uh, it was a long ball into the box that ended up with Solati at the far post. He was able to finish high past Cachito Fernandez. That was the lone goal. Uh, Botafogo knew that they were going through already. They did play a first-choice 11, uh, but I think some of the motivation might not have been there for Fogown on the night. They ended up winning the group regardless. Uh, they'll be a very interesting team, I think, going forward. Haven't necessarily been impressive in this competition, uh, but they have had moments where they've certainly looked composed. You think back to the home win against Atletico Nacional in particular, uh, they'll be an interesting one to watch, I think, of the group. They'll be a, a, a tough to peg, but I, I could definitely see them winning a round or, or even two. A semifinal run I don't think is out of the question for them, even though they're not among the, mo the, the most talented sides in this competition. Uh, they have done some good game managing at points, uh, and that's something to watch for. Javi, I'll come to you uh, for the final match uh, of this group stage. A 3-1 win for Atletico Nacional. As I said, Barcelona still threw from the group, threw in second place. Uh, but on the night, they were poor in losing to the defending champions who bow out of this competition uh, with six points over their six matches. Well, week after week, I think that the WFI's love for Barcelona is slowly reducing and decreasing. It was a very disappointing game because like, if you see Barcelona starting 11, you thought that, okay, this is the best team that Barcelona can actually put on the field. So we'll see the best side of Barcelona. So Almada paid the price of their disappointing game versus Estudiantes, in which he decided to rotate most of the defense and ended up being destroyed by Estudiantes. Atletico Nacional was able to, dis uh, to actually exploit Barcelona's weaknesses. But let's go play by play. So the first, like in the first four minutes, Jose Ayubi, was able to take the ball from Armani and score from like half a yard, which was amazing because that showed the the organization in the high pressure by Barcelona and their desire to actually go and look for the game and don't not sit back like the other games. Now, the important part of this play is that while Jose Ayobi was running to actually pressure the keeper, there were two different Barcelona players taking out options, passing options to Armani. So there was a very organized play in which ended up with a goal. So I thought that Barcelona would have just maybe sat comfortably deep and 
look for counterattacks, but they didn't. They were still trying to control the mid, the midfield and press high. Atletico Nacional found the chance to actually attack Barcelona where they're very weak, which is their defense. Now, Estudiantes showed how Barcelona can be exploited behind, like in the space behind their fullbacks. And that's what they happened. So first of all, again, the weakness in Barcelona was their defense. And Arriaga caused a penalty on Dairo Moreno, which was very unfortunate, given that, that Arriaga was replacing Jefferson Mena, who has been playing terribly the last... The, the, every game he plays is a disaster. So Arriaga was the starting center back, and he didn't do that well today, and we'll see why. So first of all, he made a rookie mistake by uh, causing a penalty kick in a play where he could have done something better and just like hold the play and let their defense organize. And so he got a yellow card and Dairo Moreno scored a very classy penalty kick. And then Pineda, Mario Pineda, got subbed off because of a pulled hamstring. Mario Pineda plays left back for Barcelona, right? So a former winger, Tito Valencia, has to come in and play as a right back, moving Velasco to the left. And Tito Valencia was the player that Duvarbieri totally destroyed in that Estudiante Barcelona game. And this game, um, Nacional was not the exception. Atlético Nacional totally focused their attack on their left, or Barcelona's right, where Tito Valencia played. And Ibargen and Magnelli Torres had just a party there. They had every, every space, every play, they actually were able to exploit him. So that second goal... Um, it's interesting because, again, Ibargüen plays a through ball to Velasco, uh, Edwin Velasco, behind the back of Tito Valencia, leaving so many yards of room for him to actually just receive and cross. Now, Arriaga, the same player that caused the penalty kick, slid to intercept the goal. And again, like as a center back, you have to slide to actually intercept the cross. The issue is that he ended up scoring an own goal. And part of the reason why is that he did it in the wrong angle because you have to be careful of what angle you actually slide to be to reduce your chances of scoring an own goal. And throughout that play, he kept Dairo Moreno on side. So he was he had lack of awareness in his positioning because he kept Moreno on side and he did the wrong technical play by sliding in a wrong angle towards that interception. Okay, so like I said, Tito uh, Nacional totally exploited the, the the fullbacks, like Barcelona's fullbacks. Barcelona kept pushing up the lines because, again, they wanted to win because they wanted they wanted that first spot in the group, which is very important for the next KO round. Uh, but again, I didn't understand why a Almada never played Eric Castillo, which is a player that has been so great throughout the tournament, and once he pushed the lines up front. Why he didn't put Nahuel Pan in to have a target man? Because Alves plays as a striker, but he doesn't really play as a target man. Whereas Nahuel Pan, that's his role, right? So I I was confused by that. But again, like I don't have to agree. Like the coaches don't have to agree with me every time, right? So uh, overall, that third goal of Atletico Nacional was a brilliant Magnelli Torres backhill again behind Tito Valencia, in which he bargained crossed and then Aymar. Dario Aymar, who had had a great tournament and is in great form, also tried to slide and intercept the cross and ended up scoring an own goal, exactly like Arriaga. Now, what I can 
highlight out of this game is that Barcelona A was extremely unlucky because Arriaga was the first player in the last five Copa Libertadores that has caused a penalty kick and scored an own goal in the same in, in the same game. A and B, because Barcelona is the first team with two own goals in the same game since Universitario in 2006. So that's the unlucky side of Barcelona. The lucky side is that Atletico Nacional had the chance to score four more goals. But Banguera was very good today. I think that Barcelona has the tools to be extremely, extremely dangerous in the KO round. I don't think that any team that that can draw Barcelona wants to draw Barcelona because they will they will be able to actually be very dangerous on the counterattack, sit deep and wait for you, and have the right tools to actually either control the mid or score some goals. Now, if they are really ambitious about going to towards Libertadores, they they have to solve their centre-back issue. Because Arriaga has the tools to be an important player for Barcelona, but not yet. And they can also, like I said last week, in last week's spot, they can play Gabriel Marquez as a centre-back and have someone else play as a centre-mid. Richard Calderon has been in great form recently. Segundo Castillo has a lot of experience and can play and has played World Cups and important tournaments. Osvaldo Minda has been, it's a very good defensive midfielder. He doesn't have the ability to create like other midfields, but he will destroy plays, right? So they have tools and they have options, but they need, they really need to solve that. And now their fullback situation is very intriguing because again, if Pineda with his arms, with pulled hamstring, he has to be injured for quite a while, they, they will miss him because they don't have any fullbacks to play because Velasco is one. But then Tito Valencia, his uh, liability, he's like Jefferson Mena on the side. He's very, his positional awareness is awful and it has cost, costed Barcelona lots of goals. And Roosevelt Oyola is also way out of form, like we saw versus Estudiantes. So even though Barcelona started as a very promising team in, the t- in this tournament, their weaknesses has been slowly showing. And those are weaknesses are easy to exploit in South America, especially. So they really need to get their act together if they wanted to keep their contender status like they had at the beginning of the tournament. Simon, quickly for you from this group, the two teams that come out, Barcelona and Botafogo, you saw probably a decent amount of both of them as you watched Atletico Nacional in this competition. What do you make of their chances going forward? Yeah, no, as I said from the beginning with Botafogo, uh, I think a well-organized team with a, with a quality playmaker is is quite a dangerous recipe. You know, they've got Camilo, who's very, very good, very creative, excellent technique, will pop up with a good free kick, will we'll get a nice assist here and there. They've got a lot of committed players around him who are going to make the runs, who are going to track back and cover. So it's the kind of team that will get results. They'll beat teams that are better than they are. I think on paper, Atletico Nacional are comparable to Botafogo, if not perhaps slightly better. But Botafogo have a very good game plan, which they've executed very well so far in this tournament. So I think they'll be a tricky side uh, in the tournament. And maybe maybe a dark horse, we're going to talk a little bit about dark horses a little bit later. But definitely, I think Botafogo are a team that will will overachieve given the talent and the quality they have, just because they're so disciplined and they have that standout playmaker uh, in Camilo. With Barcelona, again, very physical, tough tackling team with pace out wide. So again, it's a tricky team to face. Excellent atmosphere uh, at their wonderful bright yellow stadium. 
um, with the with the, en- the ends of the goal, the stands behind the goal shooting out to the side. Definitely a team that's uh, that's dangerous at home and away. They're going to be very good at counter-attacking, whilst they're also going to have that passionate support and that tough tackling commitment in midfield. So lots of good ingredients for both of these teams to overachieve, I think, uh, in this tournament and potentially be contenders. As you said, uh, certainly two teams to keep an eye on going forward. We'll close up the podcast uh, with one more final question here for our panel. Uh, the draw for the round of 16 in the Copa Libertadores will take place on June 7th. That is different than how it has, has been in years past. Uh, rather than the seeded knockout where the team with the best campaign goes as the one seed uh, and the team with the worst campaign is the 16 seed and, and it's a bracketed format, uh, they will draw group winners against group runners-up uh, with no regards for uh, country or group. So teams from the same group can be drawn together. Teams from the same country can be drawn together, and that will set the bracket. So there won't be draws for each round. There will just be that draw for the first round, and then that will set what the bracket will look like for the entirety of the competition. So so a lot will be determined by that and how that draw goes and where teams do end up getting placed. Uh, but before we get to that stage, I did want to kind of take the temperature of our panel here uh, and get a, a team that you think will win the Copa Libertadores uh, and also a team that you would pick out as a dark horse, a team that might not be among the favorites, uh, but could make a run to either the semifinals or the final. Adam, I'll start with you. You've got 16 teams to choose from. Who do you like to win this competition at this point, uh, and who would you pick out as a dark horse to make a run? Well, I don't really want to pick any Brazilian side. <laughs> personal, just a, just a personal thing? No, it's, it's, it's just that I just haven't seen enough of, of any Brazilian side to convince me that there's one which can go on the road and and get the results that they need to win this competition. Um, I, I think most of them are very strong at home. So you know, that's my doubt about Brazilian sides. If I have to pick one of sort of the big potential favourites, it would probably have to be River, just because of their attacking quality. Although I do have doubts about them, um, especially their goalkeeper. Overall, I'd say River as as kind of, you know, if if I had to back a favourite, as for a dark horse, then uh, you know I'm still sticking with with Barcelona. I know that might s- surprise Javier. I, I think I think it's possible that he's maybe overanalyzed their last two performances, which have been disappointed a bit much. But I think, like I said last week, you know, the fact that they haven't had anything to play for in those two matches, really, apart from first or second in the group, which they have ended up losing out to Botafogo for first place. But like I said earlier, I'm not sure that will really bother this Barcelona side. I I think going away from home in in the second leg, could actually be a bit of an advantage for them. Yeah, those are my two, River and, and Barcelona. And Javi, for you, uh, a, a team that you would pick to win the competition at this point uh, and a dark horse. I just want to make clear, I want to make clear that I'm not copying what Adam just said, because if you go back to the first preview of Libertadores, I did say that my favorite to win the tournament was River. So... I'm just going to jump on my previous statement and say that, yes, my favorite so far is River Plate. 
<laughs> Sorry, Adam, that, uh, that we are kind of the same opinion right now, but just saying that I said it first, like a, like months ago. So just saying that. Um, yeah, so my favorite still River because I think that they have the A, the star power, B, the roster, C, the depth, and D, the coaching, right? They have the depth to actually rotate players and adapt to the flexibility and tactics throughout the tournament and to actually handle their own tournament and Libertadores. They have the star power because Lucas Alario and Drusi are fantastic players. So I think that they look really strong and I'm going to side with myself and what I said in the preview and say River Plate. Now, my dark horse. This is going to look even worse, but yes, I also what, what wanted to say Barcelona. Why? Because I think that they have every quality that a dark horse has. They are a very passionate and physical team. They are very good playing counterattack. They have no problem sitting deep and wait for their rivals to actually set up their strategy and then find and con and find their rivals' weaknesses and play to and try to exploit them. So I think that and they have a, a goalkeeper is in very good form. So given that they have all these qualities that a dark horse should have, and again, like no dark horse is free of weaknesses and Barcelona has its own. I might be exaggerating their weaknesses, maybe, but they're pretty noticeable at this point. And if I am able to notice them and are clear, there are clear ways to how to exploit them, I'm pretty sure that professional coaches of South American teams that play Libertadores will be able to exploit them. So I'm still nervous about Barcelona going forward, but I think they have the tools to be a very good dark horse. Simon, no Colombian teams left in this competition for you to pick, uh, but you may have tipped your hand a little bit. Could be some number 10s that, that you think could, uh, could do well here. Who do you take to win the competition at this point, uh, and who would be a, a dark horse team to keep an eye out on? Okay, so if I was going with my number 10, then I would, I would lean towards Santos. So I think they may have the best number 10 left in the tournament. Now Quintero's gone. Uh, Maybe even better than Quintero, but Lucas Lima is very, very impressive. But I think I'm going to go for my favorites to be, to be Palmeiras, which you'll be pleased to hear. Um, as I mentioned before, I think they have the personality uh, to to kind of get through the tougher games. We've seen them playing poorly and winning uh, early on in the tournament. They've since shown some of their quality. Uh, they've got a couple of previous winners from last year in uh, Miguel Boja and Alejandro Guerra. Diari Mina, for me, is the best defender in the tournament. Zé Roberto, love at fullback. <laughs> he may not be the best anymore, but he's very, very impressive. So I think they've got lots of good qualities in that team. They seem to be building some momentum. They've overcome some adversities and, and won difficult games when it looked like they may be dropping points. So for me, I think Palmeiras uh, going to the to the knockout stages as my favourites to, to win the thing. In terms of underdogs, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost swayed by Javier's uh, support for Barcelona. They have been in, impressive. They have got the right kind of attitude. They are dangerous with, their, with the pacey players on the counter. But I think I'm going to stick with, uh, with our favourites the strongest. Uh, as, a, as a dark horse will they win it be very difficult they have as I mentioned some weaknesses but with the altitude with the impressive results away from home they've picked up so far this year with Chumacero uh, with Paulo Escobar proper number 10 
Um, hasn't had a bad couple of weeks, but has been very good previously. You know, I think I think that's kind of a romantic choice. The more sensible choice. Do they count as a dark horse? Maybe Botafogo. Um, obviously a huge team, but not a very good team. But a team I think may be able to overachieve in this tournament. So I'm going for the strongest. And then Barcelona and Botafogo are my sensible choices just behind them. I do like your pick of Palmeiras. Uh, it would certainly make me a happy man uh, if they were to win the competition. I'm going to pick Gremio uh, at this point. Um, they've, they've been inconsistent at points, but I think they're peaking now. Uh, not just in this competition, uh, but they've started off very well domestically with, with two wins from their first two. One of only two sides to do that in Brazil. I think they're going to be able to continue that momentum. Uh, Barrios has settled in and is scoring goals at a really good rate for them. Uh, Luan is very dangerous for Gremio. Um, but surely, surely a lot depends on them keeping Luan, though, no? I think it could, but I think that even if they were to lose Luan, I think there's enough talent with Pedro Rocha on the wing. Miller Bolaños, a player who's been out. Douglas, their number 10, who has not played yet this year. They have a very strong defense. Uh, I think Walter Kahneman, the Argentine, and Pedro Jadamel at center back are probably among the strongest defenses in this competition. Marcelo Groi is a very stable goalkeeper. It would, they'd certainly take a hit without Luan, no doubt about that, if he were to leave for Europe, like, like certainly seems like a possibility. Uh, but if he stays, uh, then I think Gremio can absolutely win this competition. If he goes, I still like their chances. I think there's enough around him and enough talent to be successful. Uh, for my dark horses, it's not a sexy pick. It's not a fun pick. Uh, but the team that I would least want to see on the other side of that draw as a Palmeiras fan and as a group winner would be Nacional of Uruguay. Um, maybe the attacking talent isn't there, but they're tough as nails. You can't break them down. They're going to make life difficult. They're going to make life physical. They'll probably get in altercations with you. You'll probably lose your head at points. Uh, and that's just a tough trip to Montevideo to play this Nacional side. So Nacional are a dark horse team for me. I think they could make the semifinals. Um, they might only need to score two or three goals to do that, and I think they're capable of doing that. Uh, so Gremio to win it, uh, and Nacional at dark horses at this point. Of course, all of this could change uh, when we do see that, that draw come out. I'm sure that we'll do a podcast or two around that draw, uh, previewing the actual ties when we do get those uh, as this competition heats up to the final stages uh, but we have run on in our time uh, so we will close out this week uh, we'll go around quickly and, and everybody can let you know where you can find them online uh, javier i'll start with you uh, where can the listeners find you on twitter uh, online is there anything else that, that you would like to plug at this point uh you can find me on twitter at, at zavxav and um no unfortunately no plugs for this week so, and again, this today's show has been very, very enjoyable, by the way, guys. Certainly a good show. Uh, I'll, I'll echo you on that. Simon, for you, uh, where can the listeners find you? Uh, and also, where can they hear about uh, your escapades and your crosses that turn into goals or maybe were intended <laughs> to be goals from the start? Yeah, let's just leave it vague. I don't know if that answered that question. It, it went in. Um, I'm on Twitter at Simon Edwards, S-A-F. Yeah, just talking about Colombian football. It's getting to the final game of the league's stage of the Colombian uh, championship. Lots of drama, lots of craziness this week in the cup, some criminal charges, all kinds of madness, plus the women's league all kicking off. So lots of stuff happening in Colombia. Catch up all of that on my, uh, on my Twitter. 
tomorrow I'm going on the radio to talk about some of the new um, the new uh, policies in Colombia to combat stadium violence. That's in Spanish for any of those Spanish speakers out there. So I'll, there'll be a link to that somewhere as well next week. And Adam, for you, uh, where can the listeners find you on Twitter and anything that you'd like to plug? You can catch me at Canadia Scores. You can give feedback for the Copa Libertadores and South American Football Show pods there. Message me in private or in public. Up to you. Um, you can also catch more Gandhi quotes there, perhaps, as well. And um, I'm halfway through writing a piece on Felipe Mora at the moment, a promising 23-year-old Chilean striker here who's had a real breakthrough year with Champions Universidad de Chile. So working on that, going over that in some detail at the moment. Hopefully be out before the weekend. And and yeah, just, just to say, really, we've got a South American football show on the on the feed at the moment, which looked at the first weekend of the Under-20 World Cup. There's another one which is going to be recorded this Sunday, which will look and review the group stages of the Under-20 World Cup from a South American perspective. And we'll also have Simon on that, talking about some problems in Colombia, the aforementioned violence Looking forward to that show, uh, South American Football Show, of course. Always a great listen as well. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, you can find me there. Plenty of Brazilian football tweets, plenty of South American football tweets, uh, and the occasional Andre Pierre Gignac love affair tweets. Uh, he scored a brace tonight for Teague Base in very, very impressive fashion uh, in the League MX. So uh, Andre Pierre Gignac, probably my favorite footballer right now. So great to see him continue to score. Um, but that's all for this week's show. Uh, we thank you again for listening. Uh, you are the reason why we do these shows. Um, we do them because we know that you, the listener, enjoy them. Uh, so we hope that you enjoyed this one as much as we enjoyed recording it. We'll be back soon uh, to break down the round of 16 draw. Uh, you know, and then, and then we'll be back once we get into the round of 16 to break down those matches as well. But for now, all that's left to say is good night and thanks for listening.